FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to a b- 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 bonus splash b- b- back episode of the podcast that goes snipped. I'm your host, Jason Suing me for thinking all these uncanny X-Men that came out before Secret Wars, what happened before Secret Wars, <laughs> Venable. And I'm joined once again by flashback co-host Cameron. I hate Canada, so I'm glad Jason didn't make me read those Alpha Flight Sinclair. Ah, you know that's true. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Pat, Pat, he doesn't hate Canada. I don't think. I don't hate Canada, no. You've like you probably spent more time there than I have. You actually went on vacation to, like, Vancouver once. I have been to Vancouver, and I have been to... Well, you did Toronto, too, didn't you? No, no. I went to Manitoba, I think. Manitoba. The one right above Minnesota. Winnipeg or one of those places. One of those, yeah. All I've ever done is when uh, my youngest brother graduated high school, we took a massive road trip, and we went to Niagara Falls. And everyone said, oh, the Canadian side is much better, eh? So we drove over there. We were supposed to end up in Ohio that night. So we drove through Canada to get come back down through Michigan. Well, that's quite a story. <laughs> I, I just drove around through southern Canada for a while. That's, that's pretty much my exposure. Now, I will say, they, quote, unquote, they were right. Uh, Niagara Falls is cooler from the Canadian side. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, and I, I would say Vancouver is a really cool town. I want to go there. I want to go there and Toronto. Those are two. But I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to the eastern part, so I don't know. Toronto is supposed to be like the, people say like the NYC of Canada. I don't know what that means because it's not nearly as big, is it? But I've heard Toronto is a pretty cool town. Yeah, I want to go there. I it's, don't know. It sounds fun. Canada. Someday. It's on my list. Yep. With uh, Tokyo and London are also on that list, so we'll see. <laughs> There's a lot of on the list. Yeah, well, one day when I'm, when I'm retired and, you know, rolling in the dough, I'll take all these trips. There you go. Well, anyway, so this is going to be a Wolverine Year 10 Part 1.5. <laughs> We're just going to, it's going to be very brief. Uh, going to kind of clean up a couple of things that we didn't do last time, but that we need to do before we do Secret Wars. So, actually, that's really only one issue. Uh, it's going to be Uncanny X-Men 180. And then I'm throwing in some issues of Alpha Flight that don't really pertain time-wise. So I figured this would be a good shot to have some more filler. So uh, I'll cover Alpha Flight 9 and 13. So anyway, that's that's going to be our show. Just like I said, a mini kind of flashback bonus episode. And um, let's talk some comics, huh? Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, so first up, we have Uncanny X-Men number 180. This is a Whose Life Is It Anyway? Is this the one that Drew Carey's in? <laughs> was, was Whose Line Is It Anyway? Was that already around? Or I think it wasn't. I, I think they, that was a redo, wasn't it? When when all those guys did it in the early 2000s? Yeah, I think you're right. I think early that was an old, like an old 70s show or something. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if That's, it was exactly the same format, but I think it was it was something anyway. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I did not like that show. But lots of people love that show. I thought it had his moments. I like Wayne Brady. Or you did. I did. I liked him on that and the Chappelle show. I can't say I've really seen him do anything else. So. Oh, uh, Wayne Brady? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's on How I Met Your Mother. He did pretty good on that. Oh, yeah. He was uh, Barney's brother, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Yeah, he's that. okay. I don't, I mean, he's good. But he's, he's not in this good. issue of Uncanny X-Men. He is not. None of those guys are. No, no Wayne Brady or the as tall guy or the short ball guy or Drew Carey. Or Drew Carey. He's too busy losing weight and hosting a Price is Right. Yeah, and he owns the Seattle Sounders. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that because they did a big thing with others. him and, um, uh, what's our best player's name? The guy from uh, Texas. <laughs> the guy from Texas who's like our best American. Oh, Breck Shea. You know about Breck Shea? No. No, 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 you're talking about an Quinn Dempsey. FC Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about FC Dallas' oh, best player. No, no. You're talking didn't about uh, Clint Dempsey. But he Dempsey. left, didn't he? Breck Shea? You're talking about Clint anyway? Dempsey. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He you're talking about Clint Dempsey at yes, Seattle. Clint Dempsey. Yeah, yes. I remember seeing the big press release. With that Drew Carey. Yeah, that was a big deal. Well, it, that soccer is also not an Uncanny X-Men. Then there's some basketball on this issue. There, well, if you want to call it basketball. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. All right, so what, what's our cover? Or I guess let's do our creative team. Who, who did this book? Let's do it. All right, so uh, we have Chris Claremont, writer, John Romita Jr., Dan Green, and Bob Wyachek as artists. Glennis Wine, colorist, and Tom Orzachowski, letterer. Yes, sir. I didn't even notice that there was three different artists. All right, well, so I think, because I know those other two guys, Dan Green and Bob Wyachek, are both inkers. So I'm assuming uh, J.R.J.R. drew the book, and then they split the inks. Ah, uh, that makes sense. That's my assumption. They must have done more than just ink, though, or they wouldn't. They would have put them yeah. as inker. Dan Green may have done some layouts. I'm not real sure. You know what? Now that I think about it, there are there are some uh, there are a couple of storyline panels in here that are different. Okay. And I thought about that as I, but I thought maybe they were. Uh, oh, yeah, like the scene in the mall. You're right. Yeah. Okay. There's yeah. a couple that are that are different, but I just kind of thought he was doing something different for that scene. But I think they must have had those other guys. Yeah, I think you're right. Do some parts. Right. Interesting. So what's All our right. cover? All right, so let's look at the cover. So the cover, we have our punk rock storm and Kitty flying up into the air. Okay. Kitty looks scared and Storm looks serious. Super serious. Very serious. And of course, you can see down below them the uh, the grounds sure. of the X-Mansion. Yep, flying Which, that's out a of the pretty mansion. damn big pool. <laughs> That is a very big pool. That's like the they, whole mansion in a pool. Yeah, that's like two or three Olympic-sized pools. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why they would... Or is this just the grounds and maybe there's multiple houses? That's just the pool house. Oh, maybe. Maybe you're right. Because there's another know. building on the side there, so... It looks like it only has garages. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. I'm going to go for super giant pool. Yeah, me too. They thought, you know, if the first mutant, Neymar, ever shows up, they need a big <laughs> giant pool for him to hang out in. <laughs> That's true. All right, so what do you think of this cover? All right, it's a pretty good cover. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I, I would say other than Kitty's completely outdated style, which you yeah. know, maybe today <laughs> it's not that outdated anymore. I think some of right. that's come back. But other than that, I actually think it's a pretty great cover. So Yeah, it's a good cover. The wind, the, the wind wisps are kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, we we need to mention, of course, this is a John Romita Jr. cover. Yeah. JRJR original. Good color. I like those different colors. They're kind of purple. Yeah. Explosions. I don't, I don't really necessarily associate Storm's power with purple, but it looks cool in this panel. 
yeah. on this cover. So, yeah, I dig it. It does, it does kind of give the impression that the wind is coming out of her hands, which I keep complaining about that. Yeah, it kind of does. But um, that's just something that just ha- keeps happening. Nothing we can do about <laughs> it. Yeah, it's a good cover. All right, so let's dive into this. So we got an issue, a lot of multiple storylines with no conclusions. So we got in this book here. Yay. We start with uh, Professor X giving his new legs a shot, playing some basketball. Yeah. Some dream basketball where he does the classic, he shoots, he scores, but then yeah. he misses the ball and has a good laugh. Yeah, I said instead of playing one-on-one, he was playing one-on-none. <laughs> good one. <laughs> <laughs> So he uh, loses the fake championship in his mind. Yeah. And then uh, another giant psi attack happens, knocks him down. So we still haven't figured out the psi attack business, which they keep tricking us so that we think that it's part of the current arc that it's in. Right. Or like the last three arcs. But then every time (laughs) it's like, nope, psi attack's still happening. Yeah. And so we don't know if we'll ever figure it out. I mean, we do, but, you know, at the moment. So Storm comes in. And talks to Professor X for a little while. Uh, Professor X is oddly turned on by the new storm. Starts talking about how he just <laughs> just now realizes that she's a woman. Right, yeah. It's kind of strange. Uh, Aurora is really dealing with that she's not so sure she likes this transformation. Uh, but, you know, she's sticking with it. Then we jump to another storyline with Kitty and uh, uh, Doug Ramsey. Doug Ramsey. I can't remember that guy's name. It's such a plain name. Yeah. No offense to anyone else named Doug Ramsey, but anyway, they're in the mall. They're playing um, arcade games. They're basically, basically this is just a whole afternoon special scene where Kitty is acting like a teenager. Right. With some drama, with some pretty self-involved feelings about everyone else. Right. And then they have like a... A hint of hooliganism, where the pizza guy <laughs> kicks him out of the arcade. <laughs> right, right. Because they keep breaking the machines. Yep. Because they. Uh, that's they what's hap- That's what happens if you're if you're too good in an ar- at an arcade game. It breaks. Yes. Um, the big thing that comes out of that is her friend Dougie Doug, um, not Dougie Doug, but just a guy named Dougie Doug. <laughs> they. Uh, he's going to. He's trying out a school in Massachusetts that turns out to be the Hellfire Club school. Yes. Which is called Masachu Sets Academy. Which... Massachusetts... <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> that was some real-time ridiculousness. I wasn't there. sure if that was a bit or not. <laughs> I saw Hellfire Club, so I was trying to read it French because of the way they hyphenated it and broke uh, it up. <laughs> so I thought it was like a, the Massachusetts. So I, I thought it was a French word, <laughs> but I didn't say it out. And then when I then when I said it out loud for the first time, I obviously I realized that it was just Massachusetts. Well, and the best part is how you had just explained that it was a school located in Massachusetts, and then you're like, "Yeah, the Massachusetts." So oh gosh. <laughs> that is ridiculous. That's so funny that I'm, uh, well, you know, I'm an idiot. Okay. The, the highlight of the podcast right there, folks. Just turn it off now. I know. It's not going to be better than that. No. Nope. Well, it's the Hellfire Club. Why don't they have a more creative name than the Massachusetts Academy? Because they want to steer everybody in the opposite direction of the Hellfire <laughs> that, Club. That's true. What's exactly the opposite of Hellfire? 
Oh, just plain Jane, Massachusetts Academy? Plain old Massachusetts. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, so he's going there, um, and Kitty is wants to go. He wants her to go with him, and she kind of wants to go with him because she doesn't want him to be sucked in by the Hellfire Club. Right. But she is also nervous that something bad is going to happen to her. Right, yeah. She didn't exactly leave there on good terms. Right. So, so we leave that and go back to the Westchester. Well, they were kind of hitting it off together, right? Doug and uh, Kitty. Yeah, did you get, from the beginning yeah, of this, have... did you pick up, did you feel like this was like meant to be a date, or were they just hanging out and then they kind of got sweet on each other towards the end? I think they were just hanging out. Okay, I couldn't really tell. He grabs her hand and kind of, like he's trying to escalate the friendship a little bit. Right. Kind of what I read into it. Because she still is clearly in love with Colossus, although Colossus is trying to, we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. It it kind of seems like there maybe it's blossoming into something more than that. But yeah, I don't think it was supposed to be a date. I think it's just friends hanging out. Fair and enough. So we jump, we jump from there back to Westchester, where we have a sulking Colossus yeah. uh, tearing up a tree. He's taking out his frustrations on a tree. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he's recovering from his fiasco, where he got like frozen in metal and you know whatever. Yeah. And the way they showed that recovery is that his arm is in a swing. <laughs> that was really funny, too. It was like a really bizarrely minor injury for, right. for such a dramatic event. <laughs> like, shouldn't he have like a hole in his chest or something like that? My whole body was frozen. And, and almost is disintegrated. But my arm hurts. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny, too. And he's Colossus. Why does he need a sling? Why doesn't he just keep his arm in steel? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would still move, though, so never mind. Scratch that. So at this point, finally, Wolverine shows up. Yeah, yeah. This comic with a beer. Of classy, course. Classy with a Molson, right? Hat. It's a Molson. It is a Molson. Something on the bottom. I don't know what that says on the bottom. It's supposed to be a Molson. It looks like they uh, hit yeah. it a little bit. For right, yeah, they did. Copyright purposes, but yeah. And so he talks to Colossus, and Colossus basically reveals that even though Kitty gave herself to the Morlocks to save Colossus, he, for some reason, now is beginning to think that maybe she doesn't love him as much as he loves her. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. Of course, that's what Wolverine says, is that it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But Colossus is showing his teenageriness here, or however old he's supposed to be. Well, okay, but is part of this... Him, like, saying we can't be in love because in America it's not cool for me to date a 14-year-old. And he keeps talking about how in in Russia, young girls don't... <laughs> I don't know what the Yakov Smirnoff joke would be here. But, um, I don't know, but I will, I will go with you wherever you want to go with it. <laughs> but he says, you know, in Russia, she and I can be married now and raising a family. In America, that's statutory rape. <laughs> right. <laughs> In Mother oh. Russia, the statues raped you. <laughs> I don't know uh, what that terrible. means. <laughs> that is terrible. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it kind of seemed like... See, it's never... This is one of those moments where the uh, the vagueness of their ages kind of messes up. Because, it, you know, when, when Colossus was first introduced with the other team, he seemed to be in the older vein. 
like Wolverine and Storm and all those characters that came in at that well, moment. Well, you seem like but a, with Kitty. I want to put him like early twenties. Yeah, older than, but you know, not fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yes, years old. no, not a teenager or but clearly a, an adult. Right. So maybe twenty-five. I, you know, you guess. But when it, with Kitty, and we've said this before, it's like they kind of write her older and then write him younger when it comes to their relationship. Right. But, but they kind of pigeonhole themselves by saying, like, oh, I'm 13, and I just had my 14th birthday in outer space away from my family, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, they, they gave her a very specific age. Yeah. But I will say, so I read an interesting article talking about some of this. There's some other interests were, were given to Kitty for romance because uh, Jim Shooter, who's our editor-in-chief on this book and was editor-in-chief at the time, did not approve of the Colossus Kitty relationship because of the age difference. So it's kind of an editorial mandate that they had to kind of cool that for a little bit. Interesting. And I think that's why eventually they kind of balance out both of their ages because I yeah. think the fans really liked the relationship, but they had to come up with a way for it to be appropriate. Yeah. But I think kind of in this, we're getting to kind of a middle part where the Marvel uh, staff was like, we can't keep pushing this like it's not it yeah. doesn't work and so i was wondering if that's kind of what he was hinting at like you know kind of a forbidden love kind of thing like I, we can't really be together that we love each other but then he also acts very jealous of doug so yeah not entirely sure and maybe Colossus isn't entirely sure of what all his motives are or motivations or emotions yeah. like maybe there's so much going on he's just a mess i don't know but i don't know it, it seems in this issue, however, you know, specifically this issue, it seems to me like Colossus is looking for future, you know, wanting to, to be with her. Right. Even though that is creepy and illegal, but that, that's what he <laughs> wants to do. And in America, you know, he's saying that we, we would already just, or we could already just get married and, and be done with this. But I guess what I think his fear is, because he recognizes that she's too young. Legally, he's, she's too young. And so while Wolverine says, you know, if you really are in love, it's not, you know, wait. It's not a big deal. Wait till she gets older. But it seems like what he's worried is that if they do wait, she will find someone else. And that's where the jealousy with Doug is. I think is he's worried that if it's, this is a love that can't happen now, that she's going to then find someone else. Right. Which goes to your point with what the editors is pushing them to do. Right. Is have her find someone age appropriate for now. Right. And then maybe eventually they can come back to. Yeah. I will say uh, Colossus also sounds like, and I won't, I won't name any names, but I think everybody has these friends that will, no matter what the situation is, they'll find an excuse to not be able to be with somebody. Are you talking about me? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You who've been married for like how many years? A like long time. Your whole life? My whole life. Yeah. But no, because even Wolverine like says all that, and I was like, well, hey, you know, if, if it's meant to be, it'll kind of work out. And he, like Colossus comes up with another reason. He's like, oh, well, forget everything I just said. I'm an ignorant peasant, and that's why we can't be like, yeah. if like every, for any counterpoint, he just has a new reason that it won't work. And yeah. it's kind of, I think we all have those friends in our lives who are like, oh, no yeah. matter what you tell them, they have an excuse for why they can't date someone or whatever yeah well and that and that's why i opened that up with saying he was sulking because i think that yes. that's really what he's doing is yeah. he's just kind of he's pouting and taking it out on some poor tree 
poor tree's getting annihilated yeah. in his uh, his work, working out his relationship woes. So yeah, so we jump now from there to some botanical, the Bronx Botanical Gardens, and so everybody's or Storm, I mean, is walking around, <laughs> thinking about the flowers that used to be on top of her apartment. Reminds her in Africa. Reminds her of Africa. Yeah. So I guess she donated them to this garden. Is that the thing you got? That's kind of what it sounded like. Okay. And then she talks to them as if they're her friends and she misses them. Apparently this they scene talk also, back. I think looks pretty different. What? I, I think this scene also looks pretty different. From See, I think this gets JR. back to JR. JR. I felt like the scene we just got out of at the mall yeah. definitely is somebody else. Yeah, I think the mall one is definitely someone else. The Colossus one, I think, is JRJR because that Colossus face, although the Wolverine face I'm looks a little sure. different. I'm not sure. That's not sure, but that, that, that one's one, a question mark. The Wolverine in the middle where he first comes out of the shadows and he has the beer, that looks yeah. like JRJR to me. I'm not yeah. sure about the next page. But I feel like this yeah. page in the greenhouse definitely is. Okay. Because the punks look like him to me. Yeah, that's true. But I think it's, it's the way Storm's hair is drawn is different. Yeah, but I, well, maybe you're, just you're right about that. That, but that could know. be ink or, that could be ink related. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so she's in the botanical gardens. She's also sulking in the yeah. greenhouse. Well, I was gonna say you <laughs> talked about her talking to the plants. Apparently, the plants talk back because they tell her they're thirsty. Yeah, they go she... feed me, and, <laughs> then they, and they start a musical. <laughs> a little chop of horse. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, and I was reading this, you know, this this whole episode, this whole episode, this whole issue. I was thinking, I wonder if I think they may have missed the interpretation of Storm because I'm just getting the feeling that Punk Storm is really not the way to go, and they really should have gone more with a Goth Storm. <laughs> but maybe that's too early for Goth. I don't think so, though. Wasn't that all but kind of tied together not, though in the early '80s? Yeah, I guess so because like she's so like punk aggressive. But so much of her inner monologue is all, woe is me, life is meaningless. Well, yeah, but we didn't have emo kids back then. Right. Well, that's why I said goth, not emo. Yeah. The original emo, goth. <laughs> or, I don't know, whatever. However you want to parse those out. Right. But then how, how do you, you, should, let's get time. to the bottom of that. How do you want to parse those out? Man, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I'm, I'm too old to make a decision on it. <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk about Storm's one red feather earring. I thought on a completely random note, but related to what we're talking about, on the comedy Bang Bang where um, American football were played. Did you yes. Hear that one? Yeah, yeah, I did. I thought it was really funny when, when the American football guy made the joke, how do you feel about guys in their 30s playing emo songs? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> that was really funny. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so she's in the, she's in the um, greenhouse. Comedy Bang Bang, twice a week, every week. That's right. Scott Ackerman should do something for us. We mentioned him on almost every podcast. So, um, yeah, so she's there. Then she uh, she hears some street toughs. Well, Cameron, to mug an Cameron old did you know that statistics show there's a higher percentage of muggings in greenhouses than any other location in the world? <laughs> I, uh, I hope that's a real statistic. <laughs> That's it why I never go to the Arboretum. Insane. I'm scared of my life at the Arboretum. Yeah, the idea that, that anyone would mug anyone inside a greenhouse <laughs> seems so ridiculous. All it is is like old people day. and one punk in a mohawk. <laughs> yeah. Who happen to donate really flowers. Funny. So, yes. And then we have a great, 
a great line that reminded me of an even better line. <laughs> Are you about to make a UHF reference? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> when the one street tough says, nobody, no gang, no cop, and especially no broad does that to a rebel and gets away with it. <laughs> Which, of course, my first thought was, broads don't belong in broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great cinematic lines of all time. Yes. Yes, indeedy. And then, uh, but, unlike Fran Drescher, Storm then beats this guy's ass. Yeah, Storm, real, and without even using her powers at first. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Down. And what about, then, what about well, this guy's massive widow peak afro? Is that not the coolest? <laughs> That was, it's like a receding hairline. Yeah. That's like he's the old guy. All those guys actually look quite old. In they the way do. They're <laughs> it's like a, I don't know if that's just, I guess it's just, I mean, that's just kind of the way John Romita draws stuff, but. Yeah. These guys look very old to me to be street toughs, but. But yeah, she beats them down and then she basically lights herself on fire, electricity fire. That's a cool panel. It is a cool panel. And then she tells them. She turns into, I don't know, some kind of a prophet or something and tells them to renounce their evil ways. And then if, she, if she'll find out about it, if not... Halt, sinner! That's right. But then the old people, she seems really surprised that the old people are afraid. But it's like, you lit yourself on fire. <laughs> you summoned yes, lightning. You, you did help them, but you also lit yourself on fire with a giant bolt of lightning right. and threatened to track these guys down and kill them wherever they are. So yes. you shouldn't really be surprised that the old couple is a little frightened. Right. So, but Storm gets her feelings hurt. Well, she's really sensitive right now. Sensitive. And then Professor X appears in her brain and says, come home now. <laughs> Broad, get your ass home. Get home. So, um, now we go back to the Westchester, and they're debating. Kitty apparently has really worked out this whole Hellfire Club school plan. Yeah. The Massachusetts Academy. The Massachusetts. And they very obviously, you know, planning something's going to go wrong because they keep saying, she's thought of everything. Right. They covered every condition. Right. Which I thought was really funny that they really pushed that. And so they approve of her plan to go to Massachusetts with Doug. But before she leaves... But, but the, the, the whole plan, though, relies on having the X-Men as a backup. Right. And that Emma Frost is still in a coma. Obviously still in a coma. Let's point that Obviously out. still in a coma. Because that, those things don't change. And no. so it's just Sebastian Shaw by himself. And he wouldn't dare take on all the X-Men by himself like he has in the past, right? Right. All those times that he has done that, clearly he's <laughs> learned his lesson and is not going to do it this time. And when people go in a coma in comic books, they stay in a coma. You Long don't, time. They don't come out of it. Almost as much Whatever. as they don't come back from the dead. That's right. That's right. And so they set Kitty off. Now, before she leaves, we get the, the cover comes in when Storm flies her up into the air into a giant burst of uh, wind, and they have a real heart-to-heart. -heart. Yeah. Well, first, they Kitty's really like, work. you scared me. She is, and Kitty really sticks with the, really the self-involved, this is all about me. Yeah, how dare you change? How and Storm change? says, I if I can change, and you can change, 
We all can change. And they solved the Cold War at the end of this issue. That's right. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, then the Berlin Wall fell. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, people don't know that, that the Berlin Wall fell by Storm's Lightning. Yeah, yeah. People think it was Rocky. Yeah. But it wasn't Rocky. It was actually Storm. <laughs> I'm coming Rocky for he didn't go punch the Berlin Wall down brick at a time with his boxing gloves. That's I the Rocky I want to wish. see. Yep. I desperately wish they had done that. I'm I'm uh, I'm working on getting a <laughs> Sylvester Stallone uh Sylvester Stallone wins the Cold War podcast together. <laughs> so we'll see. Oh man. Yeah, yeah so basically Kenny's just pissed that <clears throat> Aurora changed her clothes and is not as saccharine sweet anymore. Yeah. Well, and again, it, it gets to, and we talked about this before, that it, it's so it's so weird now because the fashion doesn't have the same meaning that it did back then. Right. And so here it's like, you got a new haircut and Kitty freaked out. But it's like, there's a whole thing that goes with, but everyone's freaked out because Storm is embracing this worldview i guess that they're that they're attributing to her that now she's got a mohawk that makes him be she's a punk which means now she's she's an anarchist violent. and violence and she's an yeah. anarchist yeah so and so there's a lot that goes with that and so T- storm basically i think it's a little long-winded as a as a as a play but i think she does a good job of kind of explaining the idea that she just the incompatibility in her mind of the goddess life of which she's a protector of life. Right, all life. The leader of the X-Men, where she may need to sacrifice life and even take life. Right. If necessary. Which I which really I like. pretty good. Yeah, I really like this struggle. I don't know if... See, I, I'm kind of, uh, kind of torn. I like this conversation as far as what Storm says. I feel like Kitty comes off as such a brat. I don't know if this is the best way to deal with it but maybe it is I, I don't know I'm on the fence no I, I don't understand why we why we haven't gotten this already I feel like they should have had S- Storm at the very least in an inner monologue or maybe with Professor X talk about this already and I guess maybe they're trying to get to the point the idea that she's she's figuring this out as she goes and right. so you know it's several issues down because now she's kind of beginning to understand the transformation right but I kind of felt like I wish we had gotten this more earlier because it, again, it did just come off like she's joined a different group of high school friends. And so now she's a punk instead of a prep, <laughs> you know, and that's a whole big thing. But right. yeah, but so this is good. But but I agree with you, too. And then it is because Kitty's brattiness is so profound that it's it kind of takes away from a pretty good discussion of what's happening here. Right. And then it just turns into Kitty being like, but if you love me and change, does that mean other people who I love will change? And then she right. has a real... And Storm says, I'm not your mama. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be your mom. Which, I have to live my life. <laughs> right. I didn't shat you out of my womb. I'm not responsible for you. <laughs> That's the that's actually the only thing I really like about Bad Santa is when he keeps saying, "I <laughs> shot you out of my womb." <laughs> oh, that's really funny. I mean, uh, I guess I guess the pro of doing it this way is that in the long run it strengthens and adds another layer to the relationship of Storm and Kitty, which is a relationship I really enjoy. Yeah. So I guess I guess that's 
that's the pro to doing it this way. But well, here's here's my beef about it. I mean, my, this is my my uh, irritation, I guess. And this may go back to the editor, what we were talking about earlier. But I feel like they needed to do this because I think it's it is necessary because, like you said, the relationship. They needed to have a moment where Storm and Kitty talk this out. Right. But because so much of what they do feels like they're trying to make Kitty seem older and more mature than the thirteen. This seems hey, she's like they 14, really yeah. regressed her to a really immature state. Right. And while, yes, she is supposed to be 14 years old, but they can't, I guess this is my frustration. They can't have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. In the eighties, this is my frustration with a kitty. They try to, they, they spend so much time having her be really smart and mature and they way over sexualize her. (laughs) But then they have these moments here where she's just a little baby about stuff and just so immature. And it's like, you know, it's not, it's, I don't like the way they're balanced. They're not balancing it out very well. I right. Think. I feel like as much as I, I really have been enjoying this period of Claremont, that the way that Kitty is handled is maybe one of my least favorite parts of it. Yeah, I would agree. Which is too bad because I actually really like Kitty Pryde as a character overall. I do too. But I'm kind of wondering where that came from. I, I, sometimes I read some of these issues and I'm like, do I really like her that much or am I just remembering something else? But, I think maybe she's just better later. That I mean, and there's there's cool parts to her. Yeah, and she, her introduction was really cool. Yeah, and I feel like though this kind of middle these last several issues, it is just a matter of them not knowing how to treat her. And I maybe, wonder if there's I, a lot of arguments in the in the writers and editors' rooms about how they're going to come. because it seems very like as, as good as Chris Claremont is. Well, you know what, it's though? almost like he doesn't know what he wants to do with her either. But maybe her going back and forth is more realistic with the moody yeah. teenager. I mean, that's I've, a good point too. I mean, you're 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 knocking on the door of having a teenage girl. This may this may ring a lot more true in a few years for you. True. When you have the kind of the, the flashes of maturity and responsibility, kind of, and then the next day just being a total immature brat. <laughs> yeah. So. I guess that's true. It is true. And it is also hard as grown men in the 21st century. Yes. <laughs> it is difficult to to understand how a 14-year-old in 1983 right. would have dealt with her mother figure going punk. Are you using air quotes with that? Going punk. Right. And I keep, right. I keep pushing the punk thing. But I mean, just the idea of even if you take away the look and they just say oh the the change in personality i think that because it was the 80s they focused a little too much on the look as the that's it's too much of an outward change and, and that that's why we, we needed this earlier that this is not just an outward change right. it's not just oh now she's a little tougher well, yeah because like a whole worldview change right they've kept talking about this internal struggle and they haven't really identified what the crux of the struggle was until this issue yeah. About it being about they, they they even hinted at well yeah it's because I was a goddess and now I'm the leader of the X Men but just saying that doesn't mean anything it's no. when you throw in the fact of like she talks about here with as a goddess or as my other person when I was more innocent you know I valued all life as and held all life as sacred and I still do but how do I balance that with my responsibilities as kind of a militant group of mutants you know yeah. i mean and that i think that's really cool too because that that speaks a lot 
to me in a lot of ways kind of being mostly a pacifist and then kind of balancing that with the necessity of defending ourselves and stuff like that and that's something yeah. i've always like existentially struggled with and i'm yeah. I, didn't, I didn't grow a mohawk and wear a vest but <laughs> you know but, but those aren't things i think about and so yeah i really well, enjoy that perspective yeah, that's a fantastic debate for the the X Men to wade into. Yes, I agree. And it's something that they'll they will deal with more later too. When right, especially with as the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants yeah. gets more gray in certain ways, and the X Men get a little more gray as we get into the '90s and it gets all postmodern. And so we start to really deal with those those questions. And and I think you're right. This is a perfect way to begin dealing with that. But it you know suddenly. Because right. like, like I mean, goddess. It's like Chris Claremont used that a lot. Like people really understood what that meant. Right. And, and I, it's like and she we, just said, "Oh, I'm a goddess." What does that mean? Right. That doesn't mean any. I mean, it's like because I mean, let's, let's think about it. some goddesses and gods are very vengeful. Yeah. <laughs> like just saying I was a goddess doesn't mean you were this pure being of of loving kindness and compassion. Like yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like the the goddess. What we what we're getting now is that the kind of goddess she was was a very kind of new agey Gaia Earth consciousness right. goddess. Yes. And, and I think, we, I mean, I think to a degree we kind of knew that just on her character, but yeah, but still, but they I didn't just spell it out. Yeah, and they didn't spell out. I mean, I don't know. You don't have to spell everything out, but I don't know. I guess it just. It, just I felt a little perturbed with the whole change, and now they've explained it, and I'm like, man, actually, I really like this. Yeah, I do too. I really like where they're going with this, and yeah. this is really interesting. Whereas I was kind of annoyed by it for a while. <laughs> I mean, you know, five issues, three issues. How what has it been? Four issues, five issues. Uh, something been. like that. I don't. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad they worked it out. I wish Kitty hadn't been such a brat about it, but maybe you're right. Maybe this is how a 14 year old would react. And they do ultimately cry and hug each other. Well, they don't. Ex- what the untold story here is? Kitty's menstrual cycle. <laughs> Had she just gotten her period, right? For the first time, she just got it, and that's why she's mad because Storm yeah. wasn't there for her. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe I don't. Know. I'm glad that they don't deal with that in the X Men. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like that would be a little, a little inappropriate. Although. The possibility of Wolverine being the only one in the house when it happens and him having to go help her. <laughs> at a, That's at a an issue store. I want to read. He's like, uh, I, I see would, blood uh, all I the time. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to see the claws pop at a CVS pharmacy. <laughs> I need these maxi pads now, bub. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's get back on track here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they work it out, kind of. Kitty says she'll try in a very weak, vague voice, so not really sure how on board she is, but Storm's got tears and finally feels a little relieved, so that's good. And then we get on the airplane, Emma Frost comes out. Oh yeah, I guess I'm not in that coma after all. The coma was a fake, or she's out of the coma, I guess we don't really know. Do we know that she was ever, never in a coma, or is she just out of the coma? Yeah, she's out of the, she's in a coma. She was in a coma. Yeah. Okay. She that was, was in a coma. Was, in the last annual to... we did, remember Wolverine was standing over her comatose oh, that's body. Right, that's right. Yeah. I was trying to remember if, if she had, if maybe it was like a trick that she had never actually been in a coma. Oh. But, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. I remember. I that. don't know. I don't rem- know if. All right. So you alluded to this earlier. Kenny's story is continued 
in New Mutants 15, and I've never actually read that. So I don't know if Emma explains how she woke up or what was going on or not. I don't really know. Maybe one of our listeners who yeah. reads New Mutants can chime in. Right. And, and let us know. I don't think we're going to track it down. But nope. Not I kind of want to know what happens. If I see in a 50 cent bin someday, <laughs> I might check it out. But other than that. Yeah. yeah. And so Kitty then yells, Professor X, help. But he's too busy driving in his limo. Yeah. She brain yells. And then there, yells. we cut to... Oh, real team. fast, I will say I really oh. like the way they draw the shadow over Emma's face. Instead of yes. doing halftone, they do like these cool like black and white lines. It looks really cool. Yeah, I liked that a lot too. I thought that was a really cool way to do it. Yeah. So we jump to the next story, which is Professor X and the team, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Storm. <laughs> Nightcrawler's really jumping there. He really is. <laughs> And so they get to Central Park. They're trying to figure out the Psy attack business. Yes. And they arrive and find a giant structure. Yeah. But they're confused as to why no one knows it. And they go in it, and they vanish. And they go to Secret Wars. Secret Wars. So they end up in space. On Battle World. And that's it. So uh, <laughs> back to the front, I was going to say uh, Professor X quit sports. Because he could yeah. uh, read the opponent's minds and he thought that was unfair. And yeah. I, just, I just wanted to say that, yeah, that's that's the reason I quit, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's me, too. It's not because I was underweight and uh, <laughs> unathletic. Uncoordinated. Yeah. Not because I was overweight and terribly uncoordinated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also just wanted to comment on the fact that Professor X looks like he has no junk. Oh, wait. And let's go. Let me look. First big panel where he's jumping oh yeah it's and those shorts like they, are so short we should have a little ball hanging out the shorts are so short and so tight it's <laughs> like they're deliberately trying to show him as having with, a JJ. or maybe he just even has the shading looks like he has a vagina or maybe he's just tucked it oh tucked it maybe back. yeah like he's in a locker room and he's trying to be funny and so he yeah. tucks his business back <laughs> oh penis tricks that old joke <laughs> It's weird because it's weird because it looks like really, really flat. And I don't understand why. I mean, obviously. Well, do you really want them to draw his junk? Well, I'm just saying this. I understand that they're not going to draw a big, giant bulge necessarily. <laughs> but, I mean, they could have made the pants a little baggier. Why do they have to be so <laughs> tight and so short? I didn't really understand I don't that. Know. I thought that was really funny. I like how all the seats to this gymnasium. Or like behind glass in a wall, like it. <laughs> yeah, or was that a mirror? Oh, maybe so. Maybe you're right. Or is he in the danger room? No, he's in the. Well, maybe he is in the danger room, and he invented this Xavier School basketball gym, where apparently they oh, that's true. they won a championship from '72 to '73. Yeah, I bet this is the danger room. I bet it is. But then when Storm comes, let's see. I don't know though. It's it hard. does stay... It's impossible to say. It does look like it is still a gym when Storm is there, so... Yeah. See, I don't know. And there's <clears throat> there's not the classic danger room in simulation. Right, right. I also liked on the second page the, the panel of him dribbling because it looks so Globe, Harlem Globetrotters. Yes, it does. Oh, my goodness. Where like all the different positions. Like Pro- he's really doing some moves. Professor X is such a baller. 
Yeah, but then he misses the shot, and so. Uh, oh, but it was really funny when he said, he sits, <laughs> he shoots, clang, he laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> and that was really funny. <laughs> I will say, <laughs> so when he said that he, that, uh, Professor X never thought of Storm as a woman, I said, I guess she didn't look enough like Jean Grey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. And also, I think it's just the fading, but Storm turns purple in that. I don't know if she does in yours too, but on mine, the, the color oh, on her yeah, skin a little color bit. Yeah. purple. So I thought, well, maybe she didn't look uh, she-are enough. <laughs> right. And that's why she turned purple briefly and yeah. suddenly Professor's all into her. Yeah. So I was a little surprised by some of the Doug Ramsey stuff. I I guess I just took for granted because I always think of him as being part of the New Mutants. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a, a whole pretty long period where he didn't know of the X-Men. Yeah, I thought that was weird that Kitty didn't know he was a mutant. Well, I thought it was weird that Professor X knew he was a mutant and thought it was best not to tell him. Professor That's X it. is such a dick. That whole over scene. Over and over again, he proves what a douchey is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he really does. That whole thing is kind of weird that, that, you know, that she is so close to someone who is a mutant. Why wouldn't, I doesn't understand, why wouldn't Professor X try to recruit him then? Well, he does eventually. See what right, happens but he, if, if Professor X knows he's a mutant yeah. and he's super good friends with Kitty, right? I don't understand at all why, why would they even, well, why would he even be looking at Hellfire Club and not being brought to... Well, yeah, and the thing is, even if you say, oh, well, his power blends into normal life and he's not aware that he has it and we don't need to tell him just yet, that's fine, okay. Let him kind of be a hanger-on. But when he says, I'm going to go check out the Ma- Massachusetts Academy, maybe then for his own protection, he can just say, hey, you know what? It's a very special episode of Uncanny X-Men. You're a mutant. You need to come to my school. Um, <laughs> these guys are evil mutants. You don't want to go there. And not, hey, hey, let's send our 14-year-old X-Men to go protect you and hope you don't turn into an evil mutant. Yeah, I think that is really what they needed here was an after-school special style episode. Yeah, I agree. Where Professor X has a sit-down and explains what being <laughs> a mutant is. Yeah, it's it's a weird, that whole thing is weird. I don't know why. I mean, I, I, get, I get your point that they're just trying to let him live a normal life because he doesn't know yet. But also, like you said, if the Hellfire Club's recruiting him, they know. And so if they know that he's a mutant. So uh, the whole scene between Wolverine and Colossus gave me a a brilliant idea. Uh, People want to send in emails to us, nickcast at yahoo.com. Wolverine, I I, I talked to Wolverine. I know he's currently dead right now, but I I got a a Ouija board. Uh, If you send in your questions... Wolverine is qualified now and proved it in this issue. He will answer any of your dating advice. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Wolverine's dating advice column that he writes for the Westchester <laughs> Daily. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the school newspaper. Just the school newspaper. <laughs> they, they were going to call it the X-Files, but they got sued. Oh, yeah. man, that would have been perfect. Yeah. But I did, yeah. seriously though, I thought it was really cool that Wolverine taught Storm how to fight. Like that's, when she's kicking all those punks' asses, she's like, good thing Wolverine taught me how to do all this. Yeah, the but, one the one good thing, although Wolverine's not in this comic enough. No, he's not. But they do, several of the storylines, at some point, reference Wolverine. 
as an increasing leadership role. Yes, I like as that. a caretaker of an advice giver. You know, it's like he's giving Colossus advice, sharing a beer with him, trying to make him feel better. Right. Taught Storm how to fight. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. It's like we're getting to that point where Wolverine is always there, whether he's there or not. Right. And then when they go into the tunnel, you know, Professor X is like, hey, should we go in here, Wolverine? Like, yeah. you know, he kind of calls them out by name. So, (laughs) but back to the scene where Storm's fighting the punks. She throws one of them in Poison Oak. I thought that was really funny. It's really funny. But uh, why is there poison oak in the botanical garden? <laughs> That's a good point too. <laughs> I guess they, I guess they're just trying to represent all the different plants. Yeah. I also like how the guy with the widow peaks fro has an afro pick. Thought that was cool. Yeah. Where is that? I didn't notice that. I didn't notice it until just now. Actually, I was looking at the poison oak panel, and I happened to glance up, and the scene where his back is to us, where a storm kicks a knife out of the guy with a really cool cut-off trench coat. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you look on the left side of his head, he has an afro pick sticking in there. Oh, I don't right, see it. right under Storm's arm. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Oh, the 70s and 80s. Yeah. That's really funny. It's a weird uh, exchange, but I like, I like Storm. I like badass Storm. I do, too. I really enjoy that. Right, so uh, what do you think of the art in this one? Um, it's solid. Yeah. There's nothing, you know, J.R. J.R. hasn't quite found his total style yet, I think. Yeah. But but it's it's good panels. No, nothing really. There weren't really any great panels. You know, more than more than one or two. I don't know. It's just good, solid. Yeah. That's kind of what I said. It was just a nice. Good comic art, nothing bad, nothing exceptionally great, but everything yeah. was above average. <laughs> yeah, which to be fair, that's pretty. That's a that's a lot. Uh, that's really positive because a lot of these from the very beginning in the flashbacks have been good art, except for five or six weird panels. Right. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the the inconsistency of of the early uh, of the, you know the first couple of guys. Right. Even even with some really great art, but then also some really terrible panels here right. and there. Yeah. This book, there wasn't any panel where I was like, oh, that's weird. Right. I agree I with mean, that. The, the street toughs being too old, but that's that's not yeah. really... That's, that's just, just our own prejudice. Yeah, that's not bad art. That's just choice. Maybe 80s street toughs were really old. I don't know. And maybe they were. The economy was tough I mean, back these, then. These were like old 1950s guys that were yeah. in the game. We were waiting for... They're just still doing it. Yeah, we were waiting for Reaganomics to trickle down and, you know, <laughs> some of us had to turn to a life of crime. These guys were all teachers and... <laughs> <laughs> the economy went south and so they, uh... Now they're on the streets. Yeah. Right? I used to be a banker to the financial panic. <laughs> right. So, uh, what do you think of the story? Um, like I said at the beginning, it's several different stories with no real resolutions. Right. And so... I, the sulking is a little much. Yeah. Everybody's sulking. I think the story with Kitty and Doug is, I like where it's going. It's not a great story, but I think it's an interesting, her, her stuff with Doug, I think is interesting. And in that, you know, bringing back the Hellfire Club and Emma Frost, who's a character that I like, you know, being back is, is, is good. And if the storm, working her problems out, I think is really good. I, I think giving us a little more depth 
and insight to what she's actually struggling with was really cool. That was definitely, to me, the highlight of the issue. Yeah, I agree. All right, so wait, what do you want to grade on Kenny X-Men number 180? Um, I don't know. You go first. Uh, man, I'm waffling between a three and a four. No, um, me too. I, I want I want to give it a higher grade for the storm stuff, but I think as an overall comic, I'm gonna have to kind of settle on three out of six claws. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. That is an important development, but overall the stories are it's just okay. I mean, it's decent, yeah. but right, yeah. it's one of those comics where it's a lot of they're starting a number of things and they're giving you some more character development for a few things. Right. But nothing really happens. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, well, okay. It felt like filler to get to the New Mutants 15 and Secret Wars number one. With, yeah. the, with the exception of Storm's identity crisis. And it's one of those comics that you, you just kind of got to have that every now and then. Yeah, yeah, you do. The X-Men are known for their downtime issues. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's some, and some of those are that awesome. comes with having a... I think that comes with having a, a big team. Yes. With a lot of different characters. You need time to kind of focus on individuals. So. Yeah. And you kind of got to have character development and you got to wrap things up and you got to introduce new things. Yeah. And so, yeah. Comics 101, folks. That's right. Yeah. Got to do it. Got to do it. But in the end, we both settle on uh, Uncanny X-Men 180 being three out of six claws. So. Three out of six. Yep. There you go. Okay, so next up, we're going to talk uh, briefly about a couple of issues of Alpha Flight. Issue number 9 and issue number 13. Alpha Flight number 9 is Things Aren't Always What They Seem by John Byrne, Andy Yankus, Michael Higgins, and I guess that's it. On the cover by John Byrne, we have Sasquatch holding a guy in some rubble, and then we have the arm of the thing hanging across the top. Uh, The highlight is um, Sasquatch's fur loincloth that covers up his privates, and then he has monkey feet. (laughs) And the thing's arm looks pretty cool. It's all nice and dark and... John Byrne does a good job with the thing. Of course, he did the. He was concurrently as this book doing his run on Fantastic Four, so he's used to drawing those guys. All right, so basically that issue is Sasquatch fighting the Super Scroll, and that pretty much sums it up. Um, <laughs> the only thing of note is that uh, Sasquatch is at this uh, research base, and they find out he's Sasquatch when he turns into him. And the next day, over coffee, the girl at the research place asks him if everything enlarges when he becomes Sasquatch. <laughs> Which, obviously, she wants to know about his dong. So, right. It's a little racy for the 1980s yeah. comics. Well, she plays it off. She's like, um, what does she actually say? Let me find the panel real fast. Maybe she made his heart. She says, but everything enlarges proportionately. Heart, lungs, even your GI tract? I don't really buy that she doesn't mean his dong because under the table, she's rubbing his, her foot on his leg. <laughs> now, she definitely wants some a giant Sasquatch wiener. Yeah. But anyway, we have also a backup story. In these first several issues of Alpha Flight, we have backup stories that give the origins of the different members. So this backup is the origin of Aurora, and it's a stranger in my mirror. And basically, um, we have her origin 
as a schizo, repressed Catholic schoolgirl with a wild side. Wolverine finds her fending off some would-be quote-unquote muggers, and by muggers we mean rapist. <laughs> and then Wolverine recruits her for Alpha Flight. Not, after- not that rape is funny. No, it's not. It's not. Laugh. I don't want people to think I'm laughing about rape. But yes. Well, you know. You laughing find- at the muggers, but... Yeah. yeah. Right. <clears throat> Awkward. <laughs> anyway, Wolverine, of course, at this point in the flashback, is uh, still working with uh, James Hudson, and he recruits her for his alpha program after witnessing her fighting skills. Yikes. So I'll just point out that, first of all, it's cool to see John Byrne draw Wolverine again. Um, oh, yeah. And there's a scene where he's under, like, this streetlight smoking. And when he's kind of in the alley watching her almost get attacked. And um, he looks, it's a really cool panel. Though the way the shadow is, and I've, I put this on Twitter. By the, the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be a couple weeks ago. But you can scroll my post. Just troll me. Um <laughs> But he kind of looks like he's uh, cosplaying as the Lone Ranger. And I also thought it was cool because when he introduced himself, he says, uh, my real name ain't nobody's business but my own. But these days, most folks call me Wolverine. I just thought it was cool that he wouldn't tell her his real name. Yeah. Anyways, Wolverine was well portrayed. So the art in this whole comic is pretty good. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's John Byrne. Not quite firing on all cylinders on this particular issue, but, um, you know, it's still John Byrne. The story is really neither here nor there in either section, so I'm going to give Alpha Flight number 9 3 out of 6 claws. All right, so that takes us to number 13, lucky number 13. Uh, This book... The cover's good, I was going to say that. Did you talk about the cover? Not yet. Uh, This book is Nightmare... It's by no, for nine for Alpha Flight Nine. Oh, yeah, I said it was alright. Yeah, well, oh, all right. I talked bad. about the armor thing. Oh, my bad. Yeah, that's alright. I spaced uh, out, I guess. Yeah. So number thirteen is the same creative team, and the cover is by John Byrne. And on the cover we have Heather kneeling in a graveyard with Wolverine protecting her. He's got his claws out on one hand. He's in his classic Wolverine civvies. He's got a Western ties, ranch worker gloves, and a coat with a fur trim, and jeans and a cowboy boot. So, you know, classic uh, 80s, 70s, 80s Wolverine garb. I'm sorry, Logan garb. There you go. And this, this cover has a speech bubble. He says, okay, sucker, the only way to get to the lady is through me. He's got his claws out, basically saying, you, yeah. you don't want to mess with me. <laughs> it's a pretty cool cover. Uh, yeah, pretty he- cool. Heather looks appropriately terrified of a threat that would warrant Wolverine making such a statement. So, yeah. And, you know, Captured, like I said, captured the moment well in that, I think. And yeah. they're in a graveyard. John, all right, so this is a section of Alpha Flight. In the effort to get some of these old issues, I think I may have said this before. I found, like, the first 50 issues of Alpha Flight on eBay for, like, dirt cheap. Nice. So I've been kind of going through and reading the issues around the issues we've been doing. And I will say we're at a point here where John Byrne starting, I don't know, uh, just in a series of really good covers. And issue 13 is one of those covers. 
And it's really cool. So basically, the story, like I said, is called Nightmare. And um, the previous issue, in issue 12, uh, James Hudson, a.k.a. Guardian, dies. So we start off with his funeral. And the first, I guess, third of this book is John Byrne at his best. And it's in very stark colors, like the background, the sky is all white. There's a lot of black because people are at a funeral, so they're dressed in black. So it's a lot of black and white with other muted colors. And this whole part of the funeral scene, there's no dialogue. And it just read very emotionally. Basically, it's all the Alpha Flight people at James's funeral. I also thought it was cool because there's a bunch of graveyards that have a bunch of Marvel names on them, like yeah. John Byrne and... Uh, the whole creative team in the book, and then other different Marvel creators have tombstones in the graveyard. thought that was cool. Yeah, anyway, cool. the whole funeral is just very powerful and is John Byrne at his best. And so kind of one by one, the Alpha Flight people console Heather and then leave. And then we see Wolverine kind of in the background under a tree smoking again. He likes to lurk and smoke in these Alpha <laughs> Flight appearances. And he's just kind of watching... And then Heather collapses on the grave, but it starts to crack. And we see Wolverine get this really shocked look on his face. And then James uh, dyed his suit, like, basically overloaded and fried him and blew up. Because, you know, he had that, like, super suit that was his power. And so out of his grave climbs, like, this burning skeleton. And he, he starts coming after Heather, and Heather runs away. And we get an awesome panel of Wolverine throwing off his cowboy hat and jumping over a tombstone and popping his claws. And it's a fantastic panel. And he goes and tries to fight this kind of fiery corpse. And does a pretty good job, but eventually the the guy face palms Wolverine and burns his face off. And of course we know that wouldn't kill Wolverine, but it definitely takes him out of the fight. Uh, as he needs time to heal. And so the fiery corpse eventually catches up to Heather, but instead of killing her, he tries to kiss her. (laughs) And then we realize this is all just a nightmare, that Heather was dreaming about this because since uh, James, a.k.a. Guardian, was pretty much disintegrated, there was nothing left of him. So they couldn't have like a burial or even like a funeral with his ashes. There was nothing. And so this whole thing is kind of her dreaming and wrestling with the fact that she has no kind of closure to his death. And uh, Shaman and Puck kind of talk about how, yeah, like a, a funeral's a very important part of the mourning process. It kind of helps you, you know, depending on your beliefs, either end the story or start a new story or whatever. But it, it, it marks a, trans- a transition of some sort. And when you don't get that, like, you don't really get to kind of deal with the finality of the person's death or whatever. So I thought it was yeah. an interesting conversation. Um, that is interesting. Yeah, but basically then we switch to uh, Heather and Shaman and Puck meet with this guy that used to be in charge of Alpha Flight. Of course, at this point in the story, Alpha Flight was disbanded by the Canadian government. and They've been working kind of on their own. But this guy who used to work for Department H was still helping them. But basically, she comes and says, so can we, like, recognize him as a hero or whatever? And he's like, no. Even when Alpha Flight was sponsored by the government, it was top secret. And now that the government has nothing to do with us, we can't. I mean, he's just a normal guy. Like, we can't recognize him as a superhero. And then she talks about how 
since there was no body, she can't even like claim life insurance for seven years. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, we get proof that John Byrne spent too much time working with Chris Claremont because we get a um one two three page uh, synopsis of the last <laughs> several issues. That's funny. <laughs> And then basically Heather uh, says, you know what, this sucks, but I'm resilient. I'll figure it out. We basically get the idea that since Alpha Flight no longer has a leader, they will just kind of quietly disband and go into the night, which we know is not true, but that's kind of where this issue leaves off. So, man, this art is killer. John Byrne is at the top of his game. It's starting with, like, issue... 11 of Alpha Flight and then through at least 14 or 15 is what, I, what I've read so far. He's not only like being great John Byrne, but he's also doing a lot of cool, really innovative stuff like with paneling and stuff like that. So it's just, I know, he just he's really like just hitting, hitting home runs in these issues of Alpha Flight. His writing is good. I mean, there's still definitely silly parts to Alpha Flight, but he actually has me kind of intrigued at this point and what's going on with the team, which, you know, who, who would have thunk it? Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, um, while the nightmare sequence is amazingly emotional, the second half of the story makes up for it by being one of the wordiest comics ever. <laughs> so there's no dialogue in the first part, and there's so much in the other part. Um, oh, <laughs> Gotta keep that word count. Yeah, yeah. I also thought at the beginning they show uh, James McDonald Hudson's is his full name on the tombstone. And I thought, old McDonald bought the farm. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Um, boo. Yeah, boo. (laughs) That's horrible. That's funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm going to give Alpha Flight number 13 five out of six claws. Overall, I thought it was... The first part was super powerful, and the other part, while wordy, was still intriguing. And plus, John Byrne really makes Heather a really strong, like, kind of rugged, independent female character. Yeah, anyway, so that's some kind of out-of-time appearances of Wolverine and Alpha Flight in those two issues. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see if I still enjoy this book when Byrne leaves. Anyway, well, uh, let's wrap up. Hey, real quick before I let everybody go, uh, there was one thing I wanted to talk about that I forgot, uh, just kind of a random Wolverine barely appearance. That was in uh, Dazzler the Movie, a.k.a. Marvel Original Graphic Novel number 12. This was uh, by Jim Shooter and... I want to call him Jerry Springer, that's not right. Let me look this up. Uh, Frank Springer. <laughs> A little before Jerry Springer. Anyway, I tried to find this in some bargain bins or real cheap on eBay and was not able to find it really quite cheap enough. And I don't have it because I was never really a Dazzler fan. So Wolverine is listed everywhere as appearing in this. But in all of the synopsises and or synopses, I guess you would say, and reviews online that I could find, he's not mentioned at all. He's listed as appearing, 
but no one talks about him. Uh, which leads me to assume, and there's a scene where Dazzler, or I guess Storm calls Dazzler, and, you know, she's talking to him on the phone, and uh, I'm assuming that the X-Men are all in the background there, and so Wolverine's probably just doing something in the danger room, or, or having a beer, watching some TV or something, but um, anyway, I'm, I'm assuming that's what's going on there. So, I haven't actually read it, don't have it. If I ever find it dirt cheap, I might check it out. I mean, there's, the premise of the story is kind of interesting, the, the Dazzler were like this pop star celebrity everyone finds out she's a mutant and kind of you know all that goes into that you know of this revelation that this uh, celebrity is suddenly a mutant and people you know respond positively and negatively and such and such and you know I think it would have relevancy to people today like you know celebrities coming out of the closet or maybe different celebrities having different religious backgrounds or whatever and the different responses to that so I think there's interesting potential but uh I don't recall Dazzler being handled that well in the 80s, so I, I don't know. But anyway, maybe I'll find it real cheap and read it someday, but for now, I'm just going to have to kind of tell you what I, what I think Wolverine did in it, and that's not much. So, I'm going to leave it there. Of course, I didn't read it, so you know what that means. I'm going to give it bone claws. I cannot justify giving it a rating. I have my suspicions that it's not very good, or that I wouldn't like it very much. Maybe it's good to other people. Anyway, yeah, so that's that. That's the Dazzler the Movie, or Marvel Original Graphic Novel number 12. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode. Again, it was a, a flashback. Haven't done that in a while. Flashback. From uh, Wolverine Year 10, Part 1.5. <laughs> mm, excuse me. Uh, you enjoyed that so much you almost died. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, but it was it was a short issue wise, but uh, I think we covered a lot. You know, found out about Storm's whole thing. What's the deal with Storm? Look <laughs> <laughs> at that worked out. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Well, we're gonna call it here, Cameron. Why don't you give your usual plugs? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cameron Sinclair. You can listen to my podcast, although we haven't done anything in a little while. We're kind of moving pretty slow lately. We're in a rebuilding phase, I guess. I don't know what oh. that means. Really. <laughs> you going to get some but prospects from the minor leagues? Yeah, that's right. Focus that's on right. your draft picks. We, we will have some new stuff coming out sometime soon. We're just having a hard time getting our schedules linked up. Yeah, so History Banter podcast, if you didn't know that already. Uh, HistoryBanter.com, although we're moving all of our stuff to a different site really? one of these days when Brad is ready to unveil the new site and we'll uh, I'll mention that okay. on here the, the page our webpage itself the podcast is still there but it's kind of a mess right now oh. but you can find the podcast on iTunes and subscribe that way so that whenever I do uh, whenever we do have something new it'll be there I am currently working on a Rambo in his historical context podcast Really? We're going to do all the Rambo movies and just wow. talk about how each one reflects the, the historical period. That okay. Come from, cool. Which is weird. Which really started, have you seen the first Rambo? Not in a long time. I've never watched it all the way through. I've only seen bits of it as a kid, and but I'd seen Rambo Part 2 probably hundreds of times because <laughs> I loved that movie. But I watched Rambo Part 1, Rambo First Blood, and was really struck with the fact that it's a really serious movie. Yeah, it is. I and do not remember that. Just nuts like all the rest of the Rambos. And so right. I was thinking about it. I was like, man, there's some really good there's a really good important story here, which sounds stupid to say about <laughs> Rambo, but anyway, so that's something we're working on. And so we'll, we will have some stuff soon. Cool. I can't but, wait for that. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to like go back and watch some of that stuff. I wonder if any of it is streaming. 
I don't know. I they had all f- the, the first three on AMC yeah. several times recently, and I recorded all of them. Oh, cool! And, and so of course, they had the, the one a few years ago. Yeah, I have and never seen Rambo four. And he's working so on five. Yeah. yeah, that's why. That's actually why this started because I, oh, I okay. heard that. I was like, "What?" Because I didn't even know there was a four. Yeah, it came out right around the same time as Rocky Six. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah it was pretty similar. Rocky Balboa, but it was uh, the eponymous. Or should we say titular? Yeah, titular Rambo. But yeah, so we'll see. Um, I hope to get it done probably next, probably be a couple of months before I get any, enough people to watch the movies and do something. But anyway, none of your listeners care about my podcast, so I'm just wasting their time talking about it. Well, you know, you're not wasting my time. That's all that matters. That's good. Because on the podcast of Ghost Nicked, I am God. <laughs> <laughs> Worship me. <laughs> Swear to me. Uh, that Batman voice stands the test of time, right? We still love yeah, it, don't we? All right. <laughs> getting late now, so we're getting weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, for the podcast, it goes snicked. Please leave an iTunes review, like the Facebook page, send in your dating questions to snickcast at yahoo.com, and Wolverine will answer them on the show. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> you can offer a service for you answer like you think Wolverine would answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll all end That's with funny. you stabbing somebody, but you know, whatever. Um, uh, Twitter is at Snickcast, and I think that about does it. So, thanks, Cameron, for coming on again. Always a blast. Always. And, um, Always fun. So, until next time, everybody, take care. Hugs and Snicks. Bye.